For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Very simply, they're going to be presenting to us the gospel of Jesus through some different times and seasons of life and why it is important to carry that gospel with us through all of those times and seasons. It's tied directly to the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus would say, um, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have this command to carry the gospel with us. Solomon would teach us in Ecclesiastes that times and seasons govern our life, so the gospel ought to govern all of those times and seasons. I'm excited to hear what they have to say. Let's pray together, and then we'll welcome Tyrell Thompson onto the stage. Father in heaven, I pray that you will, uh, I pray that you'll inspire us today. Wherever we are at in life, I pray that you will inspire us. I pray that that inspiration will, will uh, lead us to a desire to carry your gospel, the good news, to everyone around us. Would you make that the case? Father, I'm grateful for these men and the way that they have devoted their lives to you. Would you speak through them today? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you welcome Tyrell onto the stage and along with him, the rest of the elders. Good morning. Yeah, they lied. This doesn't get any easier. Um, as for one who has raised kids and has begun to have children leave home to start to make their own way in this world, I like what Solomon had to say on this subject about our kids. In Psalms 127.3, he says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. A heritage is something that we value enough to protect for the future. It is a set of values handed down from God. God made us stewards of our children. That is something that has always remained in my mind all through their childhood. 
The Bible is full of wisdom on raising our children. The biggest part is Jesus, all through the Gospels. He uh, shows us so much of everything else in the Bible and all this wisdom. One of my favorite verses on this is from Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from shoal. One of our sons liked to make sure that we stayed in practice with this verse. <laughs> then there is a verse that I would love to remove from the Bible because I've been guilty of it so many times. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I have failed as a parent countless times and so will you. We have to take the bad with the good. Luckily, God graces us with encouragement and wisdom to learn from these failures. The love we have for our kids is something like I've never felt before. I would move heaven and hell to protect them. But at some point, they are no longer under our wing. There will come a time where they will have to navigate their own way through life. As a parent, this is one of the hardest times in life to go through. No longer do we have the ability to control their environment, situations, or decisions. But God again gives us encouragement, wisdom, and hope. In Proverbs 22:6, we read, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Will our kids always make the right decisions, or at least the ones that we want them to make? The answer is a resounding no. <clears throat> They will have to stumble through these decisions just as we did. As parents, we should be available to encourage and to support them. God gives us a promise as his children. He tells us we are redeemed and that he has blessings to pour out to us. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the heritage that we are to pass down to our children because God passed it to us through Jesus. As for the raising of our children in the ways they should go, these verses we Heard are something that should always be at the forefront of our minds. In raising boys to young men, can't go wrong with 1 Chronicles 740. All of these were the descendants of Asher, heads of families, choice men, brave warriors, and outstanding leaders. As for raising little girls into young women, good luck. I still haven't figured that one out. They are a creature all their own. But God gives us that guidance as well with Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. 
She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Parenthood is full of good and bad, heartache and rejoicing, ups and downs, but through it all it will bring you blessings abundantly from God. Cherish the stewardship that God has given you, because the time you have with him during the season is swift and is gone before you even know it. So keep your children in the Gospels and let them see Jesus through everything that you teach them. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, mine is sharing the gospel as grandparents. Um, Barb and I recently kind of started a new chapter in our lives where I sort of retired, not completely retired, but sort of retired, and uh, uh, I sold my business, my blade, and, and uh, I, I get to work whenever I want to, which is probably more than I want to, but. But anyway, uh, it's a definitely a style change for us, but it, the whole purpose of it is we get to spend a little bit more time with our grandkids, and that's, uh, that's part of it. I was talking with Brian Stewart the other day, and, and uh, I told him, I says, I can't believe how fast I went from 40 years old to 65. Just, I mean, just in a matter of blink of an eye. Charles Schultz, the cartoonist, said, just remember, when you're over the hill, you begin to pick up speed. And that's kind of the way it is. Another writer and activist says, uh, Betty Friedman says, aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity and strength. And Morgan Freeman, the actor, said, did you call me old? I prefer the word experienced. As I think about what I want to leave my kids and my grandkids, um, I think of the word legacy. And I looked up the word legacy in, the, in a dictionary or whatever on Google, whatever. And it says, this is one of the meanings for legacy. Is it's a meaning, a gift of money or personal property that's granted by the terms of a will. Often a substantial gift that needs to be properly managed. Being's how there will be no substantial gifts or money. <laughs> I would like to leave other stuff. <laughs> Billy Graham said, the greatest legacy one can pass down to one's grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. I have, uh, so those of you who don't know, I have eight grandkids. I have three kids and eight grandkids. And I get to spend a lot of time with five of them. The three of them are living in Boise. I don't get to spend as much time with them, but I love them all and, and I want to spend as much time as I can with them. A couple phrases I picked up about grand, grandparents. Uh, <clears throat> grandparents, like heroes, are as necessary to a child's growth as vitamins. And, and all of you that are grandparents re re will relate to these. 
Uh, the second one is, a grandma's love feels like no one else's. And uh, the third one is, a grandparent has silver in their hair and gold in their heart. Um, you can relate to that, can't you? Proverbs 17.6 says, Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Psalms 103.17 says, But from everlasting to everlasting... The Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. As we age, we are able to do less and less and we have slowed down, but we can still learn and we can teach them to love others and love God by caring for them. <clears throat> our roles as grandparents play an important part in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. We must live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Our kids and grandkids are watching us, and hopefully they're learning from what they see. I'm blessed by my family, and, and I love it, the fact that they like to come home and visit, and uh, they enjoy that. Um, I didn't get to be around my grandparents as much as I like to. They lived out of state, and didn't get to see them very often. And uh, I'm just glad that I get to see them and be part of their lives. Genesis 31:55 says, <clears throat> "Early the next morning, Laban killed his, not killed. <laughs> Laban kissed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them, and he left and returned home. Sometimes it's just great to be able to just hug them and kiss them and send them on their way in. <clears throat> this is what I want my legacy to be. And here are some basic things I want them to know my grandkids and my kids. And hopefully they will be more valuable to them than any monetary things. First, Barb and I love God first and foremost. Um, that has to be the first, along with the love of his word. Second, they need to know that I love their grandma more than I love them. Um, she's the love of my life here on this earth, and uh, that's until I die or she dies. The third thing is I love their parents and them more than anything in this world except their grandma. And I would take a bullet for them. Maybe even go to prison if I had to. Four is I love the church and the worship of God. They need to know that, and I think they do. Fifth thing is as I get older, my priorities change. I'm still of value wisdom, knowledge, and strength. Sixth thing is obedience to their parents is extremely important. Deuteronomy 5.16 says, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with them in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Number seven is I want to see them in heaven. I want them to know God and live for him so that we can share eternity together with them. And baptizing them was one of the greatest pleasures I've ever got to do is baptize my grandkids. Number eight, and this is very important, no one will pray for them like their parents or grandparents will. We want them to know that we are always constantly praying for them. And we want them to know that God takes care of them and always will if they continue to follow him. 
And the last one is, we don't want them to feel like they are a burden to us or we are a burden to them. Those are some things I want to leave with my grandkids. We are truly blessed. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Scott, and one of the elders here. Um, I was asked to do life and retirement, and to give you a quick synopsis of how I got here. I started on the railroad in 1977 as a track man, and nine years later, I had enough seniority to have this crane on bid, we call it, and I ran that, operated it for 30 years until 2016 when I retired. And that particular picture is about seven months before I retired, and they had just come out of the Spokane shops and rebuilt it, paint, new engine, done some, quite a bit of work to it over the course of about four months. And uh, that's me standing proudly by it. <laughs> um, I'm the th a third generation railroader. My great grandfather, my grandfather, my father didn't work on the railroad, which is another story, but since I only got five minutes, I can't get into that. <laughs> and then me, um, I was very proud of what I did. Not prideful, but very proud. And it's definitely a God thing how I got on the railroad. And right before it came out of the shop, they asked me if there was any kind of uh, signature I wanted to put on it that, would I, that I could identify with. And I immediately thought of James 4.10 because that 4.10, that was what that crane was called. It was the last three numbers of the crane and we always called it Crane 4.10. So early on in my walk with Christ, I went through the whole Bible looking at every chapter and verse of 4.10 and that came up that uh, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And the way my crane operator mind works, you lift him, you know, and just. <laughs> so that's how I got here. And it's a, a, a pretty long story how I even got to Libby. It's through the railroad. But in retirement, um, I thought for sure I would probably have a hard time getting in retirement because I had talked to guys that I worked with over the years, and, and you know, a lot of them worked. 39, 40, 45 years, and then they just go home, don't know what to do with their time because that's all they did was work on the railroad. And uh, so I prayed about it, and I prayed hard about it, and uh, probably a year and a half in the weeks coming up to retirement, and um, God just allowed me to hit the ground running, and I never looked back. I mean, that was a good job, and that's what I did, but it's not who I am. I'm a child of God. And he's using me in my retirement to witness to other people. And uh, I like to go out and have breakfast a lot. I grew up with my mom and dad. We'd always go out to breakfast, and it's just kind of what we do. And so I go out to breakfast with several different people around town, and we just talk to each other and encourage each other, pray. And um, it's just something I really enjoy. Um, one of the things I'm becoming quite proficient at is the use of a hoover since I've retired. <laughs> 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 
And I grew up using that. It was one of my chores when I was growing up. And I've become quite adept in the art of culinary artistry. <laughs> so I, I've been cooking a lot of dinners. My wife is still working. So I do, do a lot of that for her when she comes home. Um, and granddaughter time. Spend a lot of time with my granddaughter now. I, get to, I pick her up once or twice a week from daycare and, and bring her home and we play and just do what five-year-olds and grandpas do, you know, until Terry gets home from work and, and we have dinner, and, um, which is very rewarding, I'll tell you. I just love grandkids. We have three of them that live in Norway that we don't get to see very often, so other than Skyping with them. Um, I like working around our property. We have three acres, and I just like to do maintenance projects, upgrades, things like that. I've just always been kind of handy at doing things like that. And I help people around the community and the church and stuff with different projects that come up like that, too. Um, two years before the pandemic started, um, a man that goes to church here um, asked me if I would be interested in... Um, starting as a chaplain in the church in the uh, hospital and first I said no I said I don't know if I can do that or not so but he planted the seed and uh, about a year later he asked me again I said yeah I'll try it so and I've been doing that ever since started about two years before the pandemic and it's still going through uh, during that two years we didn't do it because of the contagious thing and all that you know but uh, we just started two years ago in March so, and it's been very, very rewarding. It's helped me to grow, um, stretch us, or stretch me. You know, God doesn't like us to get comfortable. He's always pushing us out of our comfort zone, which, if you're like me, I don't like it. <laughs> but in the long run, it's, it helps me grow, and I know it'll help you grow if you just allow him to do his work through you. Um, been traveling to Spokane quite a bit more lately. My mom's been not been doing very well with her health, so I've been doing, making a lot of runs to Spokane. Um, I was very proud to be part of an organization that has a rich history of keeping our country running when I was working with the railroad. Um, it's something that I didn't realize until I started that was in my blood I suppose through the generations before me that worked with the railroad that it's just something that even through layoffs I went for the first three years I just never thought I'd have another job but waiting for them to call me back and the railroad is what brought me here which is another big long story but since I came here with the railroad that's how we ended up in this church and I know God would have found me no matter where I'm at but I'm glad he found me here this church has done more for me to grow in Christ and, and in retirement and, and all that. Um, and now even more, part of the good, I want to just part, <laughs> part with the good news of what Phil had read earlier um, from Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
I love that last part. He's with us always. And I can fill the rest of the day telling you stories how he has been with me in different times in my life. It's hard to see it when you're in it sometimes, but hindsight's always 20, 2020, and that helps me to keep pushing on. So, thank you. Good morning. Um, because we are all elders, um, it seems like we talk a lot about our grandkids. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we have just had our first grandchild uh, last year and uh, got a chance to actually skip school uh, for a couple of, couple of days on Thursday and Friday and got to watch my granddaughter babysit uh, her for the for those two days, and it was a, it was a lot of fun. It's always obviously a joy to, to be around your grandkids. One of the th things that she likes to do is to listen to music, and uh, so we put music on the uh, on the speaker and uh, YouTube uh, so that she can listen to. And one of her favorite songs that has uh, we've discovered is "This Little Light of Mine," and. Uh, probably because they have cool little light bulbs that dance across the screen and, she, and it has a great rhythm and she loves to dance to it. But I love the fact that, that she really perks up whenever that song comes on. This little light of mine, it's, found, or it's uh, based on a, a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter five. It says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I've been asked to talk a little bit about the idea of carrying the gospel uh, in education into the schools. And this verse has always been uh, foremost in my mind whenever I think about uh, the importance of uh, taking the gospel into the public school. That... Uh, it is a process of taking a light into what can often be a dark place. Uh, this is going on the 30th year that I've been in uh, public education. And uh, over the years, it has uh, been a privilege, it's been a joy, uh, more than it has been a burden <laughs> to teach kids, to coach kids in various sports, to be around them in all sorts of different kinds of activities. And that's one of the things I think that uh, uh, has been the important part uh, of carrying the gospel uh, into the public schools is to be that light that has been set on a hill. Now, it's probably been many years since most of you set foot in the school building, and, uh, which is the way it should be. Uh, and so... You know, what can I say about uh, carrying the gospel uh, into education that would matter, I guess, uh, to most of, most of us who haven't been in a school? And I think and hope that one of the things that we might uh, concentrate on and focus on in this coming year is to spend some really concentrated time uh, in prayer for our schools. 
And there are th three groups that I think uh, would do well to, to pray for, first of all, uh, to pray for educators. I've had the privilege of working with teachers, uh, administrators, counselors over the years uh, who were fine Christian people, God-fearing people who, uh, who taught values, who gave advice that was godly advice to children and to, and to young adults. And uh, they need uh, to be in our prayers because uh, they have a difficult job and they have um, restrictions placed upon them that they uh, have to work around in order to be able to, uh, to share that light and to shine that light in a, in, a, in a place like a public school. The second group I think that we need to pray about are our parents. The, uh, the one thing that I would change if I <laughs> had the means to uh, in public education is to start turning around the trend of responsibility and rights being given over from parents to the public school and reverse that trend. That more responsibility, more rights, more say, more involvement on the part of parents in the public school is a good thing. And unfortunately, I think over the years, at least the many years that I've been teaching, that that's, that's not a trend. That it seems as if uh, we as parents, for one thing, have uh, given over that responsibility in a lot of cases. And in a lot of cases, public school has usurped that, that role. And I think that needs to change. But parents definitely need to be prayed for. We need to pray that they will... Um, stand as advocates for their children and their faith, that they will uh, know uh, when to stand up and when to say, you know, that uh, this is my child and these are our beliefs and our values that need to be uh, professed. And of course, the last group that we need to pray for are our kids. Uh, they are, in reality, the, the, the missionaries in the public school. And we need, to, we need to support them in prayer. We need to support them in every way possible within the school so that they can exercise their freedom to uh, uh, be faithful, loving uh, members of God's church in that place. And uh, I have loved the, the many, many years I've been in education. And I've seen a lot of... Uh, kind of sad things, but I've also seen a lot of great things uh, that have happened there, and I hope that you'll join with me in uh, these coming months to, uh, to make that a concerted point that uh, we pray for uh, all those people involved in, in public education. Well, good morning. Hang with me, we're getting close here. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the workplace, then Steve's gonna back clean up here. Um, over the course of years, my years in the workplace, and even in life, I've, uh, I've seen a number of great Christian examples, but quite honestly, I've had very few in the workplace. 
And I don't tell you that out of judgment or accusation, but I tell you that to encourage you to be that. We need Jesus everywhere, and that includes our workplace where a bunch of us spend a bunch of time every week. With that in mind, I want to share some thoughts with you about how I kind of, my walk through this and understanding what that meant to me. And for me, it was very simple where it started, and I remember it very clearly. I was a young man in the Air Force. Um, I had just finished up my shift, and as I was walking from the hangar to the break room, I, I threw a piece of trash, and I missed the wastebasket. And I thought, um, somebody else will pick it up. And I kept walking away. Immediately, I was convicted by Colossians 3.23, and it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. And of course, I, after that, I had to go pick it up, right? The thought came to me that no matter what job I had, no matter what work I was doing, no matter who my boss was, I was working for Jesus. It made me think much more clearly about how I would conduct myself as a worker and how I wanted to live my life in the workplace. My understanding of what that means to me has grown and changed over the years. It wasn't all uh, developed right there, but that's where it started, and I remember it very clearly. So I want to share a couple of things that I peeled right out of Colossians 3.23 that I carry with me even now. And one of them is to be an example. Jesus calls us to excellence in all we do. And for us, for every person, that may look a little bit different, but our God is a God of completeness, fullness, finishing, purposefulness. All those things are attributes of God that, that we can carry with ourselves into the workplace and into our jobs. And just doing that speaks Jesus. So I'd encourage you to do that. And whatever work you put your hand to, do it well and do it completely. The other thought that comes to mind is that we should be helpful. Our God calls us to be Jesus in the workplace, and that scripture reminds us to do so with all of our heart. It shouldn't be lost on us that the very God of creation, the very God that loves us, protects us, grew us from the very beginning, became one of us, entered our world, entered your world. We should do the same thing in our workforce. We are reflect. We are to reflect the light of God in the workplace. That may not mean that you're preaching in the halls every day, but it may mean that you have an open ear to hear someone or a word of encouragement. It may not mean you're a counselor with just the right scripture at the tip of your tongue every day, but it does mean that you care for folks and you know what's going on around you. It does mean one thing, though, and I carry this with me, is that we don't shy away from difficult things. Certainly Jesus didn't. He did not shy away from the cross. And in, in the course of the workplace, you're going to run into some difficult things. Well, us as Christians, I want to encourage you that we shouldn't shy away from those. Sometimes we have to face those. And, of course, God is always with us when we do. 
Another thing I would encourage you to do is be selfless. You know, I've come to this realization that our work can be about seeing other people succeed. And that's just rewarding. It isn't always easy to do, especially in your younger career where maybe you're just working to put bread on the table. Or another point in your career where you're just making sure that your kids have shoes on their feet. Or even just another point in your life where where you're working some job just so that your spouse can pursue the career they want to. I know Liz did that for me. All of those are examples of seasons of life that are powerful and wonderful in their own right. But then there comes a season when we can really look to bless others. You can really look to see your boss succeed. Imagine that. You can help to see your coworkers grow or even just the people you serve. It can be the desire of your heart to see them get the things that they need. I think all of this has kind of been planted into us when God instructs us to love our neighbors. That carries out so well in the workforce. And as we mature as Christians, and particularly Christian workers, we look for opportunities to bless others. There is a scripture in 1 Peter 5. It's, it's specifically addressed to elders, so you're going to have to hang with me. And maybe many of you have kind of just glanced over that scripture. Um, but it's intended to give elders uh, some instructions about those under their charge. Um, I've become familiar with it over the years. But if you'll allow me, I want to maybe broaden that a little bit. Maybe we could think about it as we as Christians, and not many of us as Christians in the workforce, how we could conduct ourselves in the workforce and how we could take ownership of that. Let me share it with you. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. With that in mind, here are a few things I try to apply, and please understand me that I don't get this right. Anybody that's worked with me will probably say, Josh doesn't get this right all the time. But uh, these are some things that I try to apply in my life and in my work, um, just as God has shown me. One's really simple. Entrust each workday to God in prayer. Hopefully you're doing that anyhow. But there's, a, there's something that you can do in that where you're praying for your coworkers. You're praying for the people that you'll serve. You can include that in your prayers. But then if you really want to be brave, you can ask God for opportunities to reflect his light. I know we have to fight the tendency each day. Sometimes you go through seasons of life where you don't even want to get up. You don't want to go to work. You're not charged up about who you're working with, who you're working for. But I would remind you that there is some encouragement if you really look at it and think about the one you are really working for. I bring you back to Colossians 3.23. You are working for the Lord. And you can find encouragement in that. I certainly do. It changes the way I work. You can remember that all of your efforts are seen by your Father in heaven and that he watches over you with great joy. I leave you with these words from 3 John 1, 4. 
I have no greater joy than this, to hear that my children are living according to the truth. May we live according to the truth, especially in the workplace. In the Old Testament, the uh, books of the prophets are divided into two different categories. They're divided into the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Lamentations. Those are the major prophets. And I believe there are 10 minor prophets. Now, don't quote me on that, but I believe there are 10 what separates the major prophets from the minor prophets is simply this, the length of the book. That's it. Has nothing to do with importance. Some of those minor prophets are pretty powerful books. For instance, the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost quoted from one of the most obscure minor prophet books the book of Joel. That's where we're going to go today. The book of Joel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. This speaks volumes about what we're talking about today. Listen to what it says. It says, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to your Lord God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is your God? I don't know if your, your Bible has uh, subtitles, but mine says over this whole section, it says, return to the Lord. It's a call to repentance. It's a call to change your lifestyle, not just to say, I'm sorry, but to turn completely around and go in the other direction. It's a call to return to the Lord. I want to go to the very last two verses because I want to start at the back and then move to the front. Because in verse 16 it says, and the Lord is speaking here, he says, Gather the people. And who does he list first? He lists the elders. 
the people, both men and women, who have lived their lives, who understand what the good things in life are, how to have good relationships, how to enjoy your children, how to enjoy the fruits of the land and a great working relationship, but it also includes those very same people who understand what life difficulties are all about. There is none of us that is going to get out of this, this life without a stressful situation, without a broken heart, with, uh, without difficulties. The Lord calls the elders first. And then he flips the coin all the way to the other side and he says, call the children, even the nursing children. Now, why would you call the nursing children? Most of us know that nursing children don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know who God is. They have to lean upon their parents to understand what is right, what is wrong, and they have to learn from their folks who God is and what he expects of them. But then the Lord doesn't stop there. He goes to the bride and the bridegroom. And he says, gather the people. Gather the people so they can return to me. You know, Jesus makes an interesting statement in the New Testament. He says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. It is close by. So reach out and take it. Reach out and take that. You know, God gives us two things to do while we're here on earth. That's it, just two things. First of all, to discover who he is. And the second thing is to chase after him. There are a lot of things that come under that great big umbrella, but that's what God expects us to do. Most of you know what I do for a living. I'm a funeral director and I bury people. And you know, that's a very difficult job. But I'm here to tell you that death is not a respecter of age or persons. I have buried infants. I have buried children. I have buried young adults. I have buried middle-aged adults. And I have buried elder people. God calls all of us to return. He calls all of us to reach out because the kingdom of heaven is at hand and to take hold of that. How many of you today, if you were offered two tickets to this year's Super Bowl, which is two weeks away, on the 50-yard line, all expenses paid, airfare, transportation, meals, extra money for spending money, how many of you would turn that down? That's <laughs> not very many. Not very many. There are a few. But the point is, the world makes a very big deal about that game. It's important to a lot of people. 
and they would not miss the opportunity to seize hold of those tickets. God has offered you a ticket to eternal life. He has paid for it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and it's free. And he has given us one lifetime, one lifetime to reach out and take that ticket. But here's the catch. The catch is we don't know how long that lifetime will be. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We could die as an infant. We could die as a child. We could live a long life. But the opportunity to reach out and take that ticket for eternity will soon disappear. And it will no longer be an option. I had a man sitting in my office not more than a month ago. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Steve, when you punch your ticket in this life, it's too late to say, I'm sorry. Wow. Wow. God gives us one lifetime to figure out who he is and to chase after him.